Bet you wish you were here. And here we go, guys. Welcome to my podcast with your host, Ty Kiki. Um, just say there, guys. I'm just, that's not my voice. I'm just putting on a voice because I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. Just trying to get a sense of how they're doing it. And a lot of people put on voices at the start. I think just obviously just to calm themselves down, relax the listeners. Like, it's a bit of fun. It's a bit of kooky madness. There's nothing at all wrong with it. Usually then as well, I think they kind of like something goes wrong in in, in the studio or whatever. Like something something falls and they're like, whoa, whoa, oh my God, we're all over the place. Uh, come back to us next week. I promise we'll be a little bit more organized. <laughs> Do you know what I'm just I'm just trying all those things, guys. I'm a total novice. I'm a total newbie. I haven't done a podcast before, but this is my podcast anyway. Right? What's the podcast about? Okay. Well, I suppose it. It. Yeah. It looks at these islands in a post-Brexit world. Now, what do you mean by that, Tyke? Brexit has happened. We all have to concede that. Will there be constitutional change insofar as could Ireland reunite? Could Scotland and Wales head off? You know that kind of stuff. All right, Tyke. How would you get interested in, in Brexit and England and Ireland and Britain and countries and atlases and maps and territories and flags and all that, Tyke? Well, I'll bring it right back to my childhood, guys. When I was a wee lad in Cork, guys, a chubby wee lad, actually, just to just to let you know that. I mean, largely irrelevant, but I thought I'd share it with you. Um, One time, actually, I had an entire packet of custard creams for my dinner. I was just, I don't know, obsessed with atlases globes i'd say the thing i was most interested in in the house was the old phone books we had these old phone books in cork and when you'd open them up at the top if you were looking for any country so you were looking for the area code now for any city in the world like you'd have the flag of the country oh my god like why it was there i couldn't tell you like most families i knew you might have had maybe one relative in england you certainly had no one in in aruba or qatar all the flags were there couldn't get enough of them couldn't get enough of Sabutio. Do you know Sabutio? Do you like Sabutio? So you'd have a big cloth pitch. You'd put it on, you know, an ironing board or the ground or, well, you wouldn't put it on an ironing board, actually. That's totally misleading. The game would be completely defunct. You'd lay it out now on the ground on the carpet or whatever and you'd have all your little figurine men and you'd have, like, France versus England now or, like, that kind of thing. You'd flick them in onto the giant ball into the goal, score a goal. Like, great crack place of beauty all kind of 16 17 hours a day if i was let at it but i think the thing i was most attracted to was like countries the idea of like countries competing in different colors and flags and all that kind of jazz back to the flags flags flags. i'm a flagger like i'm a total flagger as i get a bit older then like i'm you know i'm i'm i suppose i'm a nationalist i'd love to see ireland reunite i'm looking over at britain i'm kind of thinking like scotland and Wales. they seem to have their own kind of individual culture and history and personality they should probably be free england should probably be free as well like englishness and britishness are being kind of conflated they're like that's there's something up there they should all be independent no it has nothing to do with me but you know i'm very very comfortable just kind of sticking my nose in where it's not wanted so as i say united ireland or scottish independence particularly after 2014 where they narrowly lose you're kind of thinking, I'd love to see these things, but they're not going to happen. Then, bang! Now, I'm going to get a quote in here. I love quotes. I'm a big quote guy. Brexit, described by William Boyd, the Scottish novelist, as the big, unignorable, overweening fact that has changed everything. William, I couldn't have put it better myself, by. So there I am. I'm doing sketches, clips, or skits on the internet and um, building up contacts I'm talking to people in political life journalists that I respect and I kind of thought to myself hold on a second I need to google Brexit here google Brexit and to my amazement 
there were only 116,000 Brexit podcasts going at that time. And I thought to myself, oh my God, well, this is a gift horse. Says I to myself, Tyg, you're not going to get an opportunity like this again to do something so niche. You got to go for it. That was kind of my way there of just acknowledging that, you know, it's Brexit, Tyg, we're all sick of Brexit, mate. Um, and we are, we are, and you're like, is there anything fresh about this podcast? I believe there is, really, because it's it's more positive than normal. It's kind of like, you know, Brexit has happened. What happens next? What would we like to happen next? So I have built up a lot of nice contacts here now in political life and journalists and stuff like that. There was other people that I admired and I had no contact with them at all, but I just threw out an email. I'm not a big fan of the phrases... I was humbled and blown away, but I really was both humbled and blown away by the amount of people that said yeah and that gave me their time. So I have ended up with a podcast series from so many different perspectives, be it Scottish nationalism, Welsh nationalism, somebody from the Northumbrian independence movement, one of the most well thought of journalists in England, an extremely well thought of comedian, and I'm not talking about myself, an Irish TD, people who are right there in the midst of Europe as the whole thing was kicking off, Republicans, I'm really delighted to say unionists. I've got three people from a unionist background in Ireland. I'm a little bit disappointed that I didn't get more conservative unionist voices in the UK. By God, did I try. I had so many people helping me out to try and get in contact with them. You know who you are. Thank you very, very much for that. Most of them didn't reply to me. Most conservative unionists did not reply to me in the UK. And I absolutely understand that. Some did actually. Some sent me helpful replies where they said, nah, I wouldn't talk to you. I'd advise people not to talk to you as well because we're a little bit risk averse when it comes to comedians and I get that but I just wanted to put on record that I did try I wanted as much balance as I could have in this podcast I didn't get as much as I would like because I just wanted to hear a defense of the union that's all I wanted to hear and look maybe I was the wrong man to try and get those perspectives maybe that's on me maybe I messed up all the emails or maybe another factor is you know it's becoming harder to make a coherent compelling argument for the union I'm not saying that. I'm just saying one might say that. No, of course, I have said that. And I do wonder that. Anyway, as the fellow says. So that's the background to the series, guys. The whole series. Now, if you have your hot water bottles filled, let's talk Scotland. Now, just just to jump straight in there, I'm not making any connection between hot water bottles and Scotland because I know people will be listening in for any kind of jingoism or stereotyping in any way. I'm not saying those hot water bottles are full of iron brew or buckfast or anything like that. I was just saying, you know, get comfortable. I'm trying to kind of, you know, pitch myself as a kind of a, that I have a kind of a, a, a soporific voice and that I would like you to get comfortable and unwind with a cup of cocoa and a hockey walkie bucky. So Scotland, I'm assuming that you don't know anything, right? Like me. Okay, if I'm patronizing anybody in any way, forgive me, forgive, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. I've lost my place. In 2014, there was the first Scottish independence referendum. The independence side lost by a fairly narrow margin, guys. We're talking 55% to 45%. Something that isn't covered that much, which I think should be, is that in 2014, the unionist campaigners engaged in what can only really be described as the scare tactics of convincing the Scottish public that the only way to continue being part of the European Union was to remain within the UK. Just two years later, the Scots are rewarded for their loyalty to the Union by being forced out of Europe against their democratic will. Now, I don't know if your buddies with Alanis Morissette, but if you are, get on to her stat, because that to me seems an awful lot more ironic than 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife. I always thought, if you've collected and hoarded 10,000 spoons over the years, the least of your troubles 
is not being able to find a knife. So yet again, the Scots find out the hard way that Westminster is okay with Scotland doing its own thing. It's all right with the Duval government set up until it's not. Until it wants to take unilateral action and not even consult its so-called partners, i.e. the North of Ireland, Wales, Scotland. And we saw this with the Internal Markets Bill and we also obviously saw it with the withdrawal agreement that when Westminster's doing big boy stuff, he's not even throwing it into the home nation's WhatsApp group. Do you know what I mean? He's off, he's doing his own thing. So you could argue, I'd say one of the best arguments for Scottish independence is this Tory government. Like as I'm chatting to you here now, the full feckin' ramifications of the Boris Christmas drinkies and nibbles bash is going off. It just seems like every passing week, the Tories are kind of screaming at you like, we don't care, we don't care, we don't care about you. And of course, the U is, I mean, Scotland, Wales, the North of Ireland, but the U is also the poor, the U is plebs, the U is anyone who's not them, I suppose. Oh, I'm slipping, I'm kind of preaching now, am I? Oh, well done for hammering the Tories, Ty, that, that's so brave of you. What I'll do now is I'll dig myself out of the hole with a couple of cheeky quotes. And these quotes, which I've compiled for your listening pleasure, illustrate the growing dissatisfaction, distaste, disgust, I think even, with Tory rule in Scotland. Now, obviously, this is not a new thing. Scotland has always been a cold house for Tories, arguably. But, as my guest will illustrate, perhaps these Tories are the very worst of Tories. And the evidence is mounting that these Tories might just be the ones that push the shenanigans so far, they're partying so hard, long into the night, they wake up in the morning, and the hangover is the breakup of the Union. They look out the window, Scotland's gone off doing its own thing. Current polling shows that support for Scottish independence is now at around 55%, what the other side had the last time, if you remember. And if you're from a cheeky, chappy, working class, whistle-as-you-work background like myself, the thing you'd look for in all this would be the bookies. And Scottish independence in the next decade, I think, is now odds-on in the bookies. Odds-on. Get back to the quotes, Tig. Yeah, so back to the quotes anyway about the horror of Tory rule in Scotland. Writer Val McDermott says we must unshackle ourselves from the big liars. Scottish poet John Burnside echoes that by describing England under Tory rule as the toxic, more powerful neighbour. And my personal faves, writer Al Kennedy says that under Tory rule Scotland is wandering into a dictatorship, but one that's quite polite. Holyrood, while less than perfect, operates on consensus and decision-making rather than body bags, heckling and mass psychosis. Imagine how I got all those quotes ready for you and you never said thanks. So I suppose what I'm trying to say really in a ham-fisted way is that now many, many people think that Scotland can do it on its own. Remember, 62% of Scots voted to remain within the EU. It's a very European-thinking country. Independence seems to be the only logical route back into the EU at the moment. It would appear that they have the personnel, the resources and the will to do it. But don't you dare take my word for it. Why not let my wonderful guest tell you more? Finally, he gets onto the guest. I am delighted to be talking to a fellow Celtic man. Today, he is a Scottish Nationalist Party MSP for Glasgow Cathcart. He's extremely witty, 
knows his stuff. I would really recommend you checking him out for his excellent political work, but also for his Twitter spats with Glasgow Rangers fans. Very, very amusing. He is not shy of a dollop of controversy. I will let him tell you about his hilarious encounter with Jacob Rees-Mogg. We talk about how the union has failed Scotland. We talk anti-Irish bigotry. We talk loads, loads more. Ah, ladies and gentlemen, James Dornan. But I begin by asking him what is by far and away the most important question to me. Well, you're a man after my own heart, like, you know, getting into a lot of trouble online, like. (laughs) We do it pretty well, don't we think? (laughs) I suppose my first question to you is, can you get me tickets for Celtic and Rangers in January? Two things about that. One is no. Uh, (laughs) The other is I I wouldn't risk going myself these days. Uh, I seem to have made (laughs) enemies on both sides at some time. It's different stages. Uh, Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But obviously, if I do go, if I get a chance of a ticket, I won't be going to the Rangers end. Do you mind me asking why you seem to have pissed off the Celtic end? Uh, when you have, you know what it's like. If you've got an opinion about anything, there's people that don't like it. Yeah. The only time I've been nearly physically assaulted as a politician was by a Celtic fan because he says that I was too critical of the club around the uh, child sexual abuse stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. And that was quite amazing. So generally, that's uh, that's my team. That's the team I support. And yeah. generally, that's okay. But you always, when you have an opinion, there's always people that disagree with your opinion, whatever it is. Absolutely. The easiest way to go in my life is to say nothing. Well, yeah, like, I mean, I just take the view that you just try and be true to yourself, which is like me following your stuff. You're true to yourself and you something comes up that you want to make a comment on. They feel that you're doing that in terms of your community. That's what you do. And you can't please everyone all the time anyway, that's for sure. No, as long as I can sleep at night after what I've done then, what I've said, then that's it. That's all I'm interested in. Exactly, man. Exactly. That's exactly how I feel. So, on to Brexit. In your opinion, did the Brexiteers go headlong into this knowing full well that NIE would be a casualty? Or did they actually just forget? Is it kind of ignorance or arrogance? <laughs> I think the last word you used is probably at the centre of it all. I don't think that the English conservatives consider Ireland at all unless they need it for something. We get that up in Scotland, but you have the long history, which is completely different and much more serious than anything that we've had to put up with for centuries anyway. I just don't think, and I, I remember saying online that they've given no consideration to the Good Friday Agreement. They've given no consideration to how this is going to impact on the island of Ireland. That's just who they are. You know, you're there to serve them as and when required. I honestly think they went in thinking only about England. And then when somebody mentioned Ireland, they thought, well, we'll buy Arlene off and and, uh, everything will be okay. Very short-term thinking, I'm afraid. Okay, brilliant. You mentioned Arlene. Arlene Foster has claimed that the SNP is a mirror image of Sinn Féin. How would you respond to that directly? And then would you have anything to say for our Irish listeners on the links between the Scottish and Irish independence movements? Yeah, the first thing is that that link that they're trying to make is to try and make people uncomfortable in Scotland, given the links between Sinn Féin and IRA. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. You've seen my stuff online where I get attacked for that, you know, IRA support and stuff all, all, the, all the time. Sinn Féin come from a completely different background, so we can't, we're not a mirror image of them in any way. What I would say is that just now Sinn Féin looked to be one of the more progressive parties. Take the party as as is, 
they look to be more one of the more progressive parties in Ireland, Ireland. And there's a lot of things that I think that we have in common in terms of our social agenda and how they could work together when the two have got rid of the yoke of uh, perfidious Albion. There's, <laughs> there's two aspects to it. One is, without a doubt, it was done there to muddy the waters in Scotland. That's that's exactly what it was done for. But secondly, there's there's no doubt uh, the, the present day Sinn Féin, the way they're going about their business, popularity that they're gaining all the time, there certainly are um, things in common between the two parties, and I think that they would be able to work together. And I think they probably, uh, along with other parties in Ireland, are probably working together just now to see how the future goes. Mm, well, that's it. I mean, it's it's even the United Ireland push in Ireland right now has elements from all parties. There's elements in that group from Sinn Féin, but there's elements from Fianna Fáil, there's elements from Fianna Gael. And it seems to be a kind of a, a little bit of a movement. So It comes back, I think, to, to the way that you're treated. People start to see, instead of listening to the rhetoric that they were brought up with, and many people from both sides of the community in Ireland, I wouldn't want to speak for them, but I suspect have been brought up believing that the British they might not like it, some of them, but that's how it is and we have to make the best of it. But then you see how... You're treated with complete contempt when there's anything important like Brexit, for example. You're a complete afterthought. The most important part of the whole of the Brexit scenario should have been the Good Friday Agreement. Absolutely. That should have been a central issue. And it was the last thing that they thought of. It was a complete afterthought. And it was only when it was drawn to their attention and certainly not by Arlene. Brilliant. She'd her hand out at the time. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Actually, on a couple of people I've spoken to as well from the European side they kind of made the point that they felt like Europe was more prepared and had a better knowledge and understanding of Northern Ireland than Britain did. That probably says it all, really. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, exactly. You brought up something else there that I haven't included in the questions, but I'd love to throw at you there. Does Scotland, especially in Glasgow and your experience of working there, does Scotland have an anti-Irish bigotry problem? Me and my big mouth, huh? They... <laughs> <laughs> Scotland doesn't. Parts of it do. Okay. Like I said, you know, most people... I'm of an age where I remember I left school at 15. You couldn't get a job in certain places because you were a Catholic. Wow. Main employers, you know, engineering firms, they wouldn't take you on as an apprentice because you went to a certain school. It's not like that anymore for legal reasons as much as society's changed. Although I've got no doubts that small firms are still very picky about who they choose sometimes. And, you know, where they can use other methods to get the results they want. We still have to deal with some of the nonsense that comes out of Ibrox and Orange Walks. We've got far too many Orange Walks uh, and if you're going to have them, my view is have them in a place where you can celebrate whatever you want to celebrate, but you're not throwing it in the face of others. Yeah. But it's quite clearly a lot of that, no matter what the Orange Order says. And I've met with the Grandmaster because I had been trying to come to some sort of military so- solution after the, the, the priest kind of light was, was spat on. Yes. And uh, they say it's about culture, but it would suggest then that the culture is anything but Catholics. Yes. And that's not... That's not what some of those people will believe, but it's certainly what that organisation believes. Okay, brilliant. Thanks, James. That's great. So I've asked Irish Republicans this question and I've asked actually a Welsh nationalist this question as well and nobody gives me the answer I want, but I'll throw it at you anyway. As somebody who believes in and works towards an independent Scotland, did you see Brexit in any way as a gift horse? Right, I'll I'll do what I always do and I'll be honest. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Great. (laughs) The worst result I've ever faced was the Brexit one. 
interestingly, given that I'd campaigned strongly for Scottish independence when we through 2014, because I always knew that we'd get another chance at the independence referendum. When Brexit came, it was like a bomb hit us. Nobody expected it. I just saw the future for my grandkids and everything going down the sink, right? They're in their early 20s and thankfully they'll, they'll do okay. But I just thought this is our future that they've just thrown away for an internal party squabble. Wow. So, yeah, I, I, that aspect of it, I was devastated. I thought there's nothing good in this. If I'm being completely political, then the answer is, of course, it's a benefit to us. Just in pure politics, not in terms of, I mean, we have to make up for the shortfall because we don't get a lot of help from Westminster. They're going to be trying to take powers from the Scottish Parliament and, and they give them straight through Westminster to their, their favoured councils, etc. So we have a lot of work to do. In practical terms, we've got a lot of work to do and it's a disaster. In purely political terms and only thinking about independence, Brexit is without a doubt a, a vote winner for us because we've been the one party who has solidly been saying from the very beginning this is a terrible idea and still continues to say that we have to get back into the European Union. So I, I think that they, there's two aspects to it. But yeah, in pure politics and about the referendum, then yeah, it's, it's good for us. No, that's refreshing because I mean, it's it like I, I totally get what you're saying. Like, I mean... In, in terms of the, the damage it does and, and and nobody knows the full damage at this point of course I get that but just on a political level yeah I mean I just speak for myself as an Irish Republican like it has furthered the conversations of a United Ireland in a way that you could never have imagined would have happened you know from all parties and and people citizens assemblies being set up to talk about it I didn't I would wonder would that ever happen in my lifetime let alone that it's happening now you know so thanks for the refreshing honesty <laughs> Could you tell us how, in your opinion, the Union has failed Scotland and is the United Kingdom's days numbered? Uh, you'd need to give me a 24-hour programme of my own <laughs> to, to tell you. But I, I, Could you give us some snapshots? <laughs> <laughs> I think, to be fair, that it comes back to the word we talked about earlier on. It's about the arrogance of the Westminster Parliament who see every other part of the, the UK as only being there to serve them. Brexit has shown that. The, I, I suppose for those who weren't paying attention before, the 19th of September highlighted exactly how they felt about us. For two years in the run-up to the referendum, it was all, don't leave, lead, you know, you're part of the uni Union of the Nations, the family of nations and stuff. Mm. All of that nonsense stopped as soon as the votes were counted and David Cameron came out and said, right, okay, they've had enough. They're not getting to vote on matters that affect England. And I thought, yesterday we were all part of this union of equals and now, you know, <laughs> we're back in the cellar waiting to get beaten by our dad again. So I thought that more than was the beginning of how we expected to get treated if we lost. And it's not stopped since. Brexit has brought it home to people all across the UK that they don't care. Mm. This government in particular, which is the worst government in my lifetime, and I'm nearly 70, wow. is without a doubt the worst government. I never thought I'd say there was a worse government in Thatcher, but congratulations, Boris, you've won again. <laughs> so I, I take it from that that you feel that the union is under threat, and could you tell us a little bit about your hopes for a second independence re referendum? Yeah, I, I don't think the, the union's ever been under more threat than it is just now, and all self-inflicted. Yes, 
You know, that's the thing about it. If they understood the people that they were meant to be looking after, they would be much more sensible about how they dealt with things. And then they wouldn't have... Mm. We still have people like me who believe that Scotland should be an independent country. People like you that believe that Ireland should be United Ireland. Mm. But they wouldn't have the rest of them that are now clamouring for action because they've been treated so badly. I believe that we'll have the referendum by the end of 2023. I believe we'll win it. And I believe that the, the rest of the time in this parliament will be about the negotiations about the, the split between Scotland and the rest of the UK. So I'm I'm confident that we'll have it. But it doesn't matter what Westminster says. I'm, I'm confident that we will have it. You, you can't stop democracy in that way and, and pretend that you are one. And in that timescale is when I expect it to happen. And then, you know, you can come up quickly behind us. <laughs> that's what you see. It's completely up to yourself. What's your, like, I mean, even just a few sentences and like, what an independent Scotland what would be your vision? As you say, you mentioned your grandkids at the start. So I thought was that's a powerful idea where you're we're thinking of like what's the what's the country that we're all leaving behind? What does an independent Scotland look like ideally? We can't pretend that we're going to turn the switch and everything. The rain's going to stop uh, and it's going to be sunshine <laughs> all the time, right? That. But it, what it does is it gives us the opportunity to build this kind of Scotland that you're asking me about, and that is a, a Scotland where we don't demonise refugees and we don't demonise. Mm people because circumstances have made them poor. It's a much more egalitarian society, and I, I, I'm not saying this in some fancy way. I just think that what we have to do is create a society where everybody gets a chance, and when, when you can't get the opportunity or you're not capable of taking the opportunity, the support is there for you. You're not demonised because you're not capable of achieving something or yeah. because circumstances have not allowed you to achieve it. Brilliant. Can I ask you, what's more offensive, a tweet about rotting in hell or a policy that threatens to jail desperate refugees for the crime of trying to save their own lives and the lives of their children? Well, according to Douglas Ross, Alec Cole Hamilton, Stephen Kerr and others, clearly a tweet is much more offensive than trying to drown people, or, or sorry, my apologies, letting people drown whilst they're crossing the channel to try and make a better life for their families, to try and get away from the mayhem and the murder that was committed in the land they're left behind. So I clearly got it completely wrong. What I should have been doing is I should have been advocating for gunboats to be firing as opposed to patrolling, and then I'd have had these people supporting me. As a, And anyway, I'll tell you, interestingly, the only Tory that said he didn't see anything wrong with the comments was Jacob Rees-Mogg. I was reading this, yeah. Tell us about that. He, he said, oh, it's nice to see uh, Mr. Dornan talking about hell in the traditional way. And I, and I thought, the others talk about it like, yeah, you go in, you get lines, you get sent to your bed early, mm. you know, you don't get to play on your PlayStation or whatever it is these days. You know, so I don't know what the idea of hell for others is. I don't believe in it, but that, that <laughs> as, I, as I did say, if his God exists, then he would go to hell for the things that he's been suggesting should be coming to pass. Yeah. Words are still stick by. <laughs> to be fair to him as well, and I'm, I'm correct me if I'm wrong here, he, he kind of basically said that you were entitled to your judgment on Absolutely. it as well. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He, he, out of them all, behaved most appropriately, I mm. thought. He seemed to be the least to rush to the kind of cancel thing, like where the, the, the main issue is, as you say, like a policy as regressive as it's going to let desperate people drown. And you using maybe perhaps colourful language is, is, is the worst I could say about it. He actually saw your right to do that, which I think is kind of yeah. impressive. Yeah. 
I don't have many many more questions and the next is a speculation and I know you don't have a crystal ball but in 10 or 20 years time even say a decade what are going to be the constitutional consequences of Brexit I mean you've told me about Scotland will England push for independence is English nationalism that much on the on the up Every night before I go to bed, I pray to the God I don't believe exists that England will push for independence because that is a solution to everybody's problems. Yes. If England stopped thinking of themselves as the empire and started to think of themselves as a country, the biggest country in in these islands, and found what their culture was... Because I was on a programme and that was one of the subject matters and I said that the problem with England is that they don't know who they are because they see themselves still as Britain, Mm. United Kingdom. They see it all being the same as being English. Once you you know that you are just England and you're not responsible for Scotland, you're not responsible for for the, the north of Ireland or Wales, then maybe you can map out your own way again in the world in a different way, hopefully, from what you did previously. But I, I think that would be the solution to most of the problems that we have. And, and, you know, why should we not be friendly neighbours? I just don't get this, you know, well, you won't get to trade with England then. Mm. So you're going to go on a half, well, to be fair, they went on a half with 27 other countries, so why couldn't they be us? But uh, I just don't get it. I think that if they ever get a, a government that has got intelligent, thoughtful people in it, then maybe the way they'll go is to sort of sit down and say, right, okay, how can we work as a partnership as opposed to, I was going to say a dictatorship there, but as opposed to being told what to do from central Westminster houses. Great. There's a kind of a sense, well, I think everywhere really, but certainly in Ireland that Scotland is, that's the first domino it feels. And there's such clear links between aspects of Scotland and aspects of Northern Irish loyalism. And so if Scotland goes, that's the union gone for loyalists potentially. And then you'd imagine that Ireland follows next. If just to purely speculate, where does that leave Wales if that's the way it is to go in, in your opinion? Well, at least what we're seeing now in, in Wales is the growth in the, in the independence movement, which is really, really encouraging. So yeah, Wales is a difficult one, isn't it? Because it, it, it's almost mm. like a country split in two uh, between the north and the south. And, and that's... I think they're going to have more difficulty in separating from England, which have been tied together for such a long time. But it could well be, I think that at the end of, say, 15 years, just to give it an arbitrary time, you could see that they've got a completely different settlement from what they've got just now. They've got one with much more powers than what they've got just now. And if the movement grows in the way that I would hope it grows, then maybe Wales as well would be able to join the independent nations. And a potential... A union of of Celtic nations might be a possibility. I mean, we already work closely together. Yeah. Just last week, I was meant to be, I haven't been well, as you know, and and I I, I was meant to be at the British-Irish Parliamentary Assembly down in London, which is held a couple of times a year, with one or two exceptions. You you see all the parties, you know, working well together and trying to discuss cross-nation stuff, though, and there's there's more formal settings that the, the ministers attend and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, and the goodwill's there. Mm. I think that there's a better relationship between the likes of the, the Ireland, Ireland and, and Wales and Scotland than there is between any of those countries and um, Westminster, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. And definitely final question. And it's, I suppose it's a loaded one, but do you feel that England or Britain, depending on how you look at it, should pay reparations for their colonial history? I, I'm always in two minds about this because where, what, 
are you paying for? Who's why is this generation? Who maybe the, the, the country at this stage is definitely, for example, if we're talking about slavery, then the country has definitely benefited from that over centuries. But the people who are living just now, and the main had no part to play in that, and they're the people who are going to suffer if, if the taxpayers' money is sent for reparations for something that happened a long time ago. I mean, and the Irish have a case, you know. We could all make a case we could bankrupt them. Yeah. And then what we could do is they could come to us. Uh, but I'm not really... <laughs> Would we no, take no, him I've in? Seen it. No, no, that drunken guy. He's not getting in. He can't fight with everybody. Uh, no, he's definitely not getting in. Uh, but I, I'm in two minds. I understand why people want it. And if it's something that happened more immediately and, you know, there was people who were going to benefit from it that, that suffered uh, or the family, the immediate family of that, then yes. But I'm, I'm always in two minds about how far we go back with with reparations and uh, apologies are fine, but mm. to be honest, I think that the apologies that governments give are not not insincere, but, you know, they don't really serve much purpose. James Dornan, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it and I enjoyed the chat immensely. It was very insightful. Hey, thank you, Ty. It was good to be <laughs> on. Fair play to James Dornan, a man of his word, not a sign of a ticket to Celtic and Rangers and I have to say now and I, I address the Scottish people at this point you know I'm playing the game with you online you know I'm supporting your independence move and I'm retweeting to beat the band like I can't declare my love for Celtic anymore and no one sorting me out with tickets I have to say it hurts and I hope to see a big big shift in that this year guys now so what about the opposing side says you and you're dead right now, I was honest enough to say that I didn't secure a conservative unionist Scottish voice. I then thought to myself, what will I do? Will I look at the arguments, kind of get them down on paper, and then play the role of a Scottish conservative unionist voice? Like, as in put on the accent and actually kind of maybe, like, dress up as a, as a, as a, as a Scottish conservative, like, kind of get into character? and kind of give it all that like two things on that one I'm known around Cork for being shambolic at accents like it's something that I'm actually known for and two to be fair to Bower Media and Go Loud they stepped in they said like sure like don't do that like definitely don't do that at all because that'll that'll just that has the potential to kind of offend everyone I, I, I kind of thought that was neither here nor there but what did kind of spook me was my own reflections on it afterwards where I thought like if I put on a Glasgow accent now on my podcast I can truly kiss goodbye to ever getting freebies for Celtic and Rangers so that was that so look I'll just use my own old stupid old voice as I give you a whistle stop tour of some of the Scottish Unionist conservative arguments against Scottish independence there's the border argument so if Scotland rejoins the EU England is out of the EU there's going to have to be some sort of a hard border between the two and although hard border doesn't bring all the problems that it brings in Ireland it will still be a logistical nightmare for instance there's 21 rail and road crossings between the two countries like in many ways it's kind of a statistics podcast as well you know there's the kind of sure how are you going to survive shoot no money by argument insofar as Scotland's national deficit is as high as 22% in 2020 to 2021 and that needs to be about 3% to get into the EU Scottish public services are already strained you know how are they going to cut back on spending money 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 more on money is the currency question Scotland wants to rejoin the EU 
So they'll ultimately want to use the euro, but what are they going to do in the interim, guys? Stick with the pound is one suggestion. A lot of problems there. The rest of the UK isn't keen on it. Higher borrowing costs for everyone. I'm, I'm kind of starting to lose you a bit, am I? Another option is in kind of an interim currency that they'd create, like, but I mean, obviously, you don't kind of magic that up overnight. Of course, there's scepticism about how easy it'll be for Scotland to actually rejoin the EU as well. Back to William Boyd, who I quoted earlier. He reckons at this point the EU thing is just wishful thinking because Europe is traditionally very squeamish about separatist movements because of, obviously, Spain and Catalonia, France and Corsica, and actually Tony Connolly, who I speak to in a later podcast, echoes that point. So that's it, little chums. They are the arguments against. I mean, would it have been more entertaining if I actually did present them in a wacky offensive Scottish accent you know I guess we'll never know because Bower and Goloud rightly stepped in and I've made a commitment to them to myself and to the Scottish people not to do it so that's kind of it guys you know I'm not telling you your business I've just presented the arguments you can make up your own mind in it yourselves and look into it further I just want to say a big big thanks to James Dornan for all of you guys for listening and especially to all you lovely people in Scotland. Okay. Hey, hey up, Lassie. Um, what's this? What's the story in Balmore today? Young Willie. Young Willie. Join us next time while we will be discussing wheels, guys. Oh no. Bet you wish you were here.